0: Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am just a quick heads up here into this episode. The audio uh, connection with Skype was fairly poor. We had a guest on this week and something between everybody's connection was a little off. Uh, Editing has been done the best we can, but we wanted to get you the information. It's still good. It's about food science and technology and how it translates or doesn't translate into health from a sort of a lifter and fitness angle. So um, toward the end, we'll go on site to the Institute of Food Technologists conference in Las Vegas. Uh, It just happened days ago, so we can give you some trends and whatnot, uh, and that'll be it. It'll be a little briefer on this holiday weekend episode. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor, and I'm a
2: former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. Happy Independence Day weekend, everybody. Um, I'm a coach. I run Strength Field. Although I also power left and dabble in about every strength sport that's ever been created. Yes, so. you
3: do. Nice. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, owner of ExtremeHumanPerformance.com, or actually LLC, and it's MikeT.Nelson.com.
1: Hey, everybody. This is uh, Michael Walker. i got a master's degree in exercise phys. I'm also a strength coach similar to Phil. I kind of dabbled in everything, but primarily I coach Olympic lifting and help uh, guide and consult CrossFitters a little bit on their nutrition and strength goals.
0: All right, folks. Um, We mentioned it in past weeks, but uh, after the break, let's just jump to there. We're going to talk about the food industry. We just got back from a conference in Las Vegas, sort of convention really, and sort of give it the lifter specific angle of what what's coming down the pike when it comes to uh food and what we you know saw that was interesting but before that we have a little bit of news um
2: phil you want to start with yours about the doping
0: strength and muscle sport news
2: yeah it's just you know we've always talked about doping and sports and on here and just how more rampant it is than people want to believe. it's kind of everywhere, and somebody just sent me a uh, a tidbit yesterday that it's even in horse racing. So Michelle Payne, she was the first female to win the Melbourne Cup. She got popped for doping, so she got banned. Um, she was using weight loss drugs. Oh, okay. I was so gonna I mean, it's what? it's any uh, any sport, especially ones you can win a great amount of fame or fortune. It's just gonna happen. You know, you, you have to realize it's out there. It's 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 everywhere. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's just, uh, the population that is just shocked at it when somebody gets popped is is naive. You know, you give, if there's a way for the human human race to get a a slight advantage to better themselves at anything, they're going to take it. You know, somebody is. Not all of them, but. You know, a, a percentage. And of it, it
1: works.
0: So. I mean, right? Yeah. We, we have to get people to understand, too, that the population, it's always that bimodal thing. There's either someone who is so naive, they think, oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's always hard training and proper nutrition, you know, quote, yeah. unquote. Or it's, oh, he's just on, on juice, and they yeah. think it does everything. But uh, th- the bottom line is, right, it's safety or efficacy, and we would be stupid to try to keep telling athletes like they used to do, right? I think even the American Medical Association That something like for anabolic steroids don't work Well, then you go yeah. to the gym And you see some guy weighing 280 and squatting five bills <laughs> And you're, yeah So, yeah. yes, they're there And you're right yeah. When there's money on the line These things do, in fact, work it doesn't, Like you said, we're not, I'm not condoning it I'm just saying yeah. um, Things like weight loss stuff uh, Kill your appetite, dehydrate, whatever Or, mm-hmm.
3: uh, I don't know Yeah, and also it's very situational dependent too, you know, and you see that with, you know, people who may say, oh, I'd probably never do that in my life. And then if they have the opportunity of maybe getting paid, you know, nine, ten million dollars for a couple of years, it probably becomes a lot more interesting than it did before too. Yeah, risk to benefit kind of. Yep.
1: Yep. What what was it? I think it was years ago they had a, a survey with Olympic athletes, like an anonymous one, and it was... If you t- could take a pill that guaranteed you a gold medal, but you die in five years, over 50% said they'd take that pill. Yeah. So, I mean, some people with uh, the medals or the fame or the glory, they don't know how to live without it. So, I mean, they'll either continue down that, living that facade or that ruse to, to keep it going. But yeah, over 50% said if they were going to die in five years, but guaranteed a gold medal, they'd do it.
3: Yeah, I'd love to see the follow-up to that study, too, and that part two is they're like, hey, here's the pill, do you still want it? <laughs> yeah. And then measure how many actually took it, but yeah. that never passed anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the matrix or something. Yeah. Yeah, because I've often wondered on surveys what people say they do with what they actually do. Yeah. Is, doesn't always match, but I, I 100% agree with your point, right, that it's, it's higher than what the... M- average American whatever believe. Right.
0: When they do those steroid, like, have you tried anabolic steroids uh, to high school students on those surveys? Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, 50% are taking... No, they're not. Oh. Yeah. No, they're not. Okay. Um, I have two little bits of uh, news here. First one is from um, Cesar Torres. We've had him on the show before. He has a new film coming out. I don't know if the listeners are familiar, but... Uh, mm. Greetings. Hope your year has been stellar. I wanted to share some good news. I just wrapped up uh, a documentary film called Beyond Built. Uh, it's a story about the world of bodybuilding and powerlifting uh, as seen through the eyes of Dave DeYoung, the owner of the legendary Quads Gym in Chicago. The film doesn't reach an- release until July. I'm working on the marketing campaign, and the launch is a few weeks away. Now that the short film is done, and I think it's 17 minutes, Uh, I can show it to producers and audiences around the U.S. So I think he's going to do a screening in Chicago.
2: Yeah, for for people that are interested, he posted it 18 hours ago on the Iron Radio Facebook page. So there's a YouTube link to, uh, I guess it's like an advertisement for it, but I haven't watched it. It's an 18-minute long deal, so. That'd be cool to see. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
0: I want to check out the... uh, mini film um this next one is from joe shallero uh hope you and your family are doing well i started a podcast uh the past few months where i've been discussing mental health sports psych and general athletic performance topics with different professionals athletes and coaches so um I think I might uh, try to recruit my wife and be on there. It's sort of a mental health focus. He says this his the shows are typically twenty to sixty minutes long, f- uh, pretty fun and conversational. So uh, if you want, if you're interested, uh, again Joe Shalero, educated guy, we've had him on the show. He always has good insights. Uh, Peak Mental Performance org. If you're interested in uh, checking out Joe's new podcast, cool stuff. Yeah, Joe's a great guy. Yep. Anything else from anybody?
2: Nope, nothing, nothing beaming out here in the strength sports world, yeah, and I just don't weekend. view other sports very much.
3: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're not giving us the baseball update, Phil.
2: No, I was playing the baseball game in the gym the other day, and I shut it off. I was like, eh, "This doesn't count." Turn it off. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> is
3: going to sleep. That's what happens Good. when I watch baseball. just offended all the baseball people.
2: Yeah,
0: you did, but I, I, I agree, and so. <laughs>
1: Here's one little piece. I don't know if you saw this, Phil, but the uh, the IOC is really cracking down. As we were kind of talking earlier about doping with Olympic lifting for the 2020 Olympics. Did you see anything with that? Basically, since the doping's been so bad across all international lifting, they limited the spots. Now I think. And I'm, I might be misquoting the exact number, but I want to say in 2016, there was 256 lifters across to each weight class. Now there's going to be 196, I want to say. Ooh. So they, they cut that back and they just added a new women's weight class, but they're actually going to cut one of the men's classes out for 2020, I believe, because it's been so bad lately with everyone getting popped. They just went through a huge round of actually busting a lot of Americans. Mm-hmm. So... If they don't shape up, basically, the IOC said that if they don't get better, there's a good chance that Olympic lifting might not be in 2024. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a new, recent uh, – I would say it was in the last couple months they came out and said that if uh, we don't shape up our act, we're going to be out.
2: Wow. Yeah, i kind of seen that coming. I mean, and that's – you know, I've, I've heard – like we talked about, I think it was last week, we talked about the CrossFitter that got popped. And there was just higher ups in Olympic weightlifting telling these people stop. You're you're <laughs> Yeah. You keep getting popped like this, you're gonna make us get banned. You know, if you're doing it, just don't come in. You know?
1: Right. So It's actually funny the, you say that too, because that's what the coach I've worked with over the years, he always said about it. He's like, you know, I love that CrossFitters come in and really boosted Olympic lifting. He goes, But you can't be nuked out, like the testing's a lot more strict. Yes. Yeah.
2: And they, I don't think they realize that they're not really hurting themselves. They don't care that they get banned from, you know, U.S. weightlifting. But it, it is a mark against the sport, you know, in general, which isn't good right now. Right now, it, that's not what it needs. <laughs> you know, it's already in trouble. Yeah. So
0: It raises the popularity, but, but with the price of, oh, look, these guys are all on drugs.
2: Yes. And, you know, if they can try and kick wrestling out, which has... Uh, A hundred times the viewers and people doing it, they can kick weightlifting out. They're not not against it. So,
0: all right. Yeah, you know, it's it's just sort of that holiday weekend, everybody. So things are kind of uh, tame. We'll go to break. When we come back, we're going to go to the floor of the Institute of Food Technologists conference in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, Some of us just got back from there, uh, and we'll just tell you about some of the food trends, I guess, coming down the pike, and we'll be back in a minute. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC press and protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And, uh, I do full disclosure. I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? All right, folks, we're back. Uh, it's Phil, Lonnie, and the Mikes, and we're going to talk about food tech. Uh, before I do, I want to say a quick shout-out. I've been trying to do this and be more um, responsible about the gratitude. Thank you to the following people. You help keep the lights on here. We are listener-supported. William, Andrew, Neil, Alan, and Vicky. thank you for supporting Iron Radio. We Again, listener-supported. That's why you don't get ads for some cheesy supplement You know, every 15 minutes. All right, from the floor of IFT, uh, one of the things that we saw that I think surprised us was we, there was a talk on innovations in fat and oil, and I thought this was about health, right? But it wasn't about health. It was about this guy that was very jazzed that he could jam more sugar into each piece of cake by using these special fats and emulsifiers. I don't know. Uh, Dr. Nelson, what did you think about that?
3: I was kind of surprised because we all went to it and we're like, oh boy, this is going to be exciting. This is always going to be about nutrition. Of course, that's always our our bias towards it. And yeah, it was exactly what you said. It was pretty much straight up kind of hardcore food tech by using different types of emulsifiers to pump more air into it and I think at the one point he said, well, then we can put more sugar into it. <laughs> that's what struck me. Yeah. I was like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like your
0: piece of, I suppose It's fluffier. But then, yeah, he was really excited about how much sugar he can jam in there. <laughs> he, it was actually surprising. He said, in America, we have more sugar than flour in the cake. And wow. That's, that yeah, blows, I, didn't, my I wouldn't mind. have
3: expected that.
0: All right, what else did we see? Um, yeah. Lots of interesting booths. Yeah, there was a coffee-lemonade booth. I thought that would be gross.
1: It wasn't gross, right? No. In fact, it was one of the better things we tasted all weekend.
2: Coffee-lemonade? Coffee-lemonade. Like, Here. They mix the two, kind of like tea and lemonade. What is that called? A, uh... Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer, yeah, but yeah, with coffee. Yeah. Sounds interesting, I suppose. But, yeah, it doesn't sound appetizing, so I guess you'd have to try it. Here, I
0: have the card in front of me, ADM. It says, finding its home in urban coffee shops. This cold brew coffee, uh, born in Europe, features ultra-roast coffee notes with candy lemon. Something about only trace amounts of caffeine. But that's not a selling point.
3: Nope. that's out. <laughs> She said you could add more caffeine to it if you wanted to. <laughs> well, you could do that you with want... anything. I could take a pill. While, I know. I, it. <laughs>
0: I want seven times the caffeine. <laughs> right. It it was weirdly good, surprising flavor. Yeah, it compost. was
3: very distinctive taste too. Like I thought, oh this is gonna be utterly horrible and it was not too bad. And then after you had another one, you're like, This is pretty good actually. So yeah. hmm Flavoring was a big big thing there on the
0: floor. All kinds of new colors you know, um Yeah. yeah.
1: Sweeteners. <laughs> Lots of sweeteners.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely I saw like a big push towards much more of our natural sweeteners. There's different types of stevia. Like the one guy we went to, he was that's kind of all their company did. We said they have seven different types of flavoring you can add that are all natural. Uh, you could get all your different types of, um, for listeners who are not familiar, some places will use monk fruit. So monk fruit and stevia are probably the two biggest types of natural sweeteners. And there's even subtypes within them. This is what Reb-M and Reb-A and all sorts of different sweeteners. And everyone's touting theirs is better than the last one. and doesn't taste funky. And it was, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised that there was more growth in that area. I didn't realize it was quite to that uh, extreme yet. But I think it's at least moving in the right direction, in my opinion.
2: of you guys mentioned colors. I have all the the young kids, meaning like under 12. At my gym, convinced that red dye number 27 is what makes all the Russians strong. That's what I tell them all. So they're all like, <laughs> I, need eat, I need to eat the red M&M's. <laughs> 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 I'm messing with them. Telling them weird things like that. So, like the yeah. reds.
1: Yeah.
3: Wasn't originally the red dye from uh, Crushed Up Beatles, I think, originally? Yeah, I, I remember know. right? I didn't know that. Oh. Hmm. I think it was, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanted to tell everybody, clean labels were constantly mentioned. So clean labels, I'm going to put a link. <clears throat> our, Skype, our Skype is so poor this morning. I'll, I'm going to put a link rather than go on about this. Um, but I have a report from the Center for Science and the Public Interest on what clean labels are. The basic idea is that people, they're looking for fewer ingredients and ingredients that they can pronounce, right? So that's what they're trying to do with the clean label, initiative. Uh, The problem is it's misleading. Uh, uh, Just because it's a clean label food doesn't mean it's low in sugar or sodium or whatever. Um, So uh, I'll post a link about the clean labels. Uh,
2: The funny thing about that is it's like the opposite of what the supplement companies do. Like if they put...
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: If if they if they put like I don't know some herb in there, let's say they put uh, oregano in there, they're not going to call it oregano. They call it by its scientific name.
3: Yeah. And the, people are like what the hell is that? For
2: caffeine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To try and disguise what it is and make it sound fancy. Yes. So they put in all these words that the average person can't pronounce, and then oh, that's beet juice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. What's interesting though, with supplement companies, I've noticed that it's only really the lack of a better word, more hardcore type supplements that do that. A lot of them now even have a completely different branding within the same company that's more health related or one of the talks I went to at ISSN just before we got to IFT was talking about having women's uh, products, basically just different labeling, different shapes of the bottles, different uh, messaging, maybe using more plant proteins, all these different things that even a main supplement manufacturer would have a separate line with its own name and different spokespeople um, trying to just target a specific market.
1: Didn't didn't MP do that not too long ago where they had a, a completely like, women's line and stuff? But yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I want to say, didn't it flop? I haven't seen it. I think they took it off the shelves.
3: I don't know on that. Um, I know that that's obviously one of the risks because if you redo a lot of that stuff, it's it's not cheap, you know, and then as, you know, that grew big enough to, you know, support the money that you put into it. Um, But I mean, even I think sort of the hardcore bodybuilding supplements, if you look at the big picture is quite actually a small component of it. It's kind of all the world we live in. And so that's what we see all the time. But um, even then, it's a relatively smaller component overall.
1: Yeah. And I think some, some supplement companies are a little bit more experienced in that area like I know a lot of women have a tendency when they talk to me is about like beach body. you know is one that's really geared towards more female I'd say overall because that's the predominantly the ones I see selling it that's predominantly the ones I see using it where they've kind of got a grasp on how to tap into that market pretty well but yeah last time I was in a supplement store the other day I didn't see any of the the women's line of the MP stuff so I was curious what kind of happened with it but a couple of my friends who are competitors, I was talking over with them, and they said that, you know, yeah, it's geared towards women, but they're like, you know, they've added some more sugar, or they've, you know, changed some of the quality ingredients in it, and they're like, this is, they, you know, are more on the knowledgeable side, but they're like, this stuff's crap. They didn't like it, in their opinion. So, I mean, it just kind of depends on what you're kind of going towards.
0: Yeah. Before we close out here, um, and actually, everyone, we're going to, Kind of go on to on site uh, so you can hear a little bit more about what happened with this- this um manufactured meat uh, um development but clean meat it was called, but before I do, what are your thoughts? We saw a lot about plant protein um but there seemed to be a disconnect between nutrition and food. Do you agree with that dr Nelson
3: yeah, it's uh one of the things I found just fascinating about the whole conference was not a lot of talk about nutrition really i mean i guess you maybe would expect that with a food technology conference and again it was my my first time um, being there so in my brain of course we all think in nutrition we're like well, well of course they're related right you would think oh okay they're putting you know different beta carotene and stuff in foods to you know supplement them oh it's just for the color Oh, well, I guess you could do that, too. Maybe it's better to have a natural, quote-unquote, color in there. Um, But it was interesting to see everything from the, oh, just flashbacks to engineering of just measuring the flow of different ingredients to viscosity to mouthfeel to scanning them for moisture to the other end. Where I went to, um, uh, Mike was there, too, with the maple syrup guy. It was super interesting about they took maple syrup and made it into a spread just by processing it different at higher speed. So it turns more yellow and it's more like a paste. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to me how it wasn't necessarily nutritional component, although like we said, there's a lot of more natural type in ingredients, less artificial colors, um, things of that nature. And last little part on that too, I did find something that, says, Kellogg's is to remove artificial colors and flavors from their cereal. And this is from Food Business News. This is actually from a year or two ago now. Who knows if it'll happen. It says, Fruit Loops and Apple Jacks and other brands to have them removed by the year 2018. It's not that far off. Um, So, anyway. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where that trend continues. And it was oddly, I thought, kind of... Divorced from nutrition and like its own separate world, almost entirely.
0: The product uh, <coughs> attractiveness, right? It, it's it, how attractive. How do we get people to buy it? Other than that, yeah. There, there was uh, when we left. It struck me how only one subgroup was even about nutrition. Everything else was some <coughs> other angle. I mean, we went to a session on protein and muscle food. It wasn't about human muscle. It was livestock. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. So it was very surprising how little the nutritionists were there. Like, you know, we had some students, of course. We had Kayla with us. She's more of an exercise phys student. Um, she's like two steps removed, right? I, being a nutritionist, I was the oddball, and I found that weird. And then she's even a step removed from that, right? So, yeah, these were the engineers and chemists that make your food pretty, and addictive and colored and tasty. Uh but yeah, I saw very little very little connection with uh what happens after you swallow. It. So okay. Um Skype is poor this morning, poorest it's ever been in fact. So we're going to uh end it there, I think. Cut over to our final segment about clean meat and we'll see everybody next week.
2: Uh, have a good uh Independence Day weekend. Yeah. Have a good weekend, see
0: all right. Welcome back. We are here in Las Vegas at the Institute of Food Technologists annual meeting. It's, it's our first time here, and we're curious to see what's going around. We looked at the expo. We've only gone to one or two talks. There's a lot of distractions here, but uh, let's start with the meat discussion. A lot of our listeners, that's something close to their hearts. So um, there are companies like Memphis Meats. Uh, there's a couple of different uh, companies doing this now, and they're growing meat. They're not raising livestock. They're growing meat, you know, muscle cells in a dish. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Apparently, this stuff is going to come to market in 2021, and they want it to be on par cost-wise with uh, regular meat. I think they have chicken, beef, pork right now.
3: Pulled through. They have uh, chicken, beef, and
0: duck. Avian. Oh, duck. Right. And uh, you asked about fish, and he said there's yeah. no reason they couldn't really grow
3: any meat. Yeah, yeah. They said that they don't have it yet. There's some other startups. One of them was called uh, Finless Fish, which is out of uh, San Francisco. Um, but they are looking to definitely do that in the future. He didn't have an estimated timeline or anything, though. One of the things – essentially what they do is
0: they they have these scaffolds, and they just grow the cells in these big vats, um, And uh, it's supposed to be, they're calling it clean meat. And there was some discussion the FDA might not like that because it almost insinuates the way meat is grown now is somehow unclean. But they were saying, no, it's more like clean energy. You know, it's supposed to be less wasteful. If you think about how many calories you pump into a chicken or a cow and then you only eat a small portion of it. You know, they were saying the idea is really not new um, when we do that. Even Winston Churchill, like those old quotes about, you know, you uh, you grow an entire a- animal just to eat its its pecs or its, you know, its wings. wings or something, right? So it looks interesting, like interesting stuff. It's supposed to be nutritionally equivalent. And again, it's just something that's on the horizon, um the bacterial content is really low and it's supposed to
3: keep longer right what do you do you remember anything about that yeah they said that there really isn't any bacterial content because it's basically a sterile environment and there's a couple questions people asked about that too and he said they'll be able to contain it using you know good laboratory practice and good manufacturing practice gmp that type of thing um And then he also said that it lasts, because of that, it lasts longer than normal meat by, I think he said, up to a week or longer. Mm -hmm. And I believe the thing that breaks it down the most was actually light. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's weird stuff. Honestly,
0: I've been taken at this conference by how little actual, like, nutrition, like after you eat it and swallow it, you know, they don't seem to care as much about what happens to your metabolism or your your health or your physique. They're very much about the, you know, the leavening agents or engineering something that's a little fluffier or how the packaging is a little better or Kayla and I were talking with some people, were, they they're all about the livestock. I mean, all about the livestock and all the nuances and the grains and the mixtures and the way they feed them and all that stuff. Uh, we have uh, Kayla Ruffner and Mike Walker here with us for various reasons. There's a lot of cool stuff here, product development, just kind of exploring around. But, Mike, you and I were talking this morning about with this Memphis Meats idea, the clean meat idea, that they're not just trying to show equivalency, but they could actually create special, like amino acid profiles and stuff. You want to speak to that at all?
1: Yeah. So, basically, what the guy was saying, too, is, you know, it would be, the meat would be equivalent to meat we have today, you know. As far as the vitamin profile, the protein content, the calorie content, everything would be you know, exactly the same. But they also talked about the potential for being able to you know, modify and make it specialty essentially. So if you think about it, myself as an example, I'm not a big fish guy. I don't really eat salmon. I mean I'll take fish oils. But if you imagine taking chicken or beef or turkey and being able to pump omega-3s in there – while you know getting your supply without having to eat fish or we were talking about some different amino acids you could throw in like a leucine for an example you could put into there so down the pipe it'll probably be more you know once this becomes more of a feasible consistent option it'll probably end up being a superior choice because if you think about like the bodybuilding world if you could specialty your meat tailored towards your diet so you'd have the taste and texture of beef but say like the fat content of a chicken breast. You know, you're gonna stay on prep better. You're gonna have a better chance, you know, to win or to grow or to change the physique by dialing it in that much more. So, that's what really kind of intrigued me was, you know, you could take, like I said, something as simple as a piece of bacon we eat now and drop the saturated fat. So, you still get the taste and texture and the feel of bacon without, you know, breaking the bank on your macros or your calories because of saturated fat. So, you know, imagine like a protein blend. You can, you know, customize a blend. And then turn around, you know, and get you know the right creatine in it or BCAAs, but with meat. I mean, that's kind of I think where the tide is. That's the way I'm kind of imagining it. It's like you know, one stop shop. Pick you want to add X, Y, and Z to your beef. Here you go, and you can customize it. I think that's one of the things that might be
0: good about Iron Radios. We're always thinking we have a little bit of that Dr. Frankenstein. Like, how are we going to apply this to lifters or fitness people? Because I don't think these people are really thinking about health and nutrition so much as just the agriculture aspects and whatnot.
3: Yeah, one other point on that would be interesting, too, based off what Mike Walker was saying, is that maybe you've got a female athlete who doesn't eat a lot of red meat, who's very low in iron for whatever reason. You know, perfect example and extension of what you were saying. Maybe they have the super high heme iron, you know, Whatever, and they just have to eat that maybe once or twice a week, and you know their iron is pretty good. Maybe they don't like red meat that much for whatever reason. So you could then customize it to whatever different needs they need. All right, so Kayla, I know that you're
0: not always a big meat eater. Um, Maybe tell us about that. Would you Would you eat this cultured meat in a dish? Mm -hmm.
3: Um, I would try it. I would probably have to be a little bit more skeptical and like do research once they actually get all their information out and you know, they've done more, um, trials with people actually eating it and figuring out if it actually works. Um, but I would try it if I'm able to get everything I want from red meat and a white meat standpoint, cause I personally don't eat steak. I'm very picky about ground beef. I'm usually a ground turkey or chicken type of person. And I eat ham very selective, like, around Christmas time. So it would probably be something different to try.
0: It's not too weird, though. Would you try it?
3: Yeah, I would try it.
0: One question came up, I remember uh, when you're, Kayla was just talking about like long term stuff is like the microbiome, like the guy' saying, "Well, with all the talk about gut bacteria, do we know what this is even going to do? I mean you're not introducing a certain small amount of allowable bacteria because it's so clean, or it, you know, some of this stuff, it does make you wonder you know what down the pike, what kind of long term stuff's going to happen
3: I've often wondered about that too, since you're really getting more meat per se tissue, but he also said you can customize it. I just wonder about all the other stuff that we typically probably don't get enough, maybe collagen, connective tissue, other things like that. Is this going to be able to maybe increase that? Maybe you can make a super high collagen blend maybe? Or I know he said you could do custom stuff with with fats, so maybe you have a super high omega-3, that type of thing. So It sounds like they wanted to do consumer equivalent first, and then start doing more customized stuff after that. The other part that was fascinating too. Is I believe he said they'll have it in high end restaurants. Their goal is by 2019, mm-hmm. so that's actually not that far away. It'll probably be a novelty item first, and then show up on your grocer's shelf.
1: Well, I think that'll be a big thing with this. You know, to start off with, like he said, a novelty. Kind of item. I think a lot of people at first are going to be very skeptical, you know, of the the texture and the you know, and you know how it's going to come out, the nutrition profile and things of that nature. But I mean, with how he was explaining it to us, it is a very feasible option, which could to prevent a lot of other things that come along with raising you know cattle and grain and, and our farming practices as they currently stand. That could benefit you know a lot of different parties all at one swoop. So. But I think, you know, more of the science-minded or even more of the, and I'm not saying this condescendingly, like the straight-up meatheads who are looking for that edge, I think we're going to be more of the first group to go, okay, the science is right, or you know what, this could potentially give me that like 1% or 2% advantage, we'll be the big ones to try it. But, you know, especially the head research guy, Eric, I believe was his name from Memphis Meats, I mean, he he was quick to the draw on all the questions, you know. He had thought a lot of different angles. You could tell this guy did a lot of homework and really knew what he was getting himself into. So I think with that kind of, you know, his background and his ability, I think that would be really good. I mean, that would be a good company to potentially see where they're going, because this could be something in 50 years, just like stem cell research, you know, it could, you know, the the tides will change and we could be looking back at this going, oh yeah, we were at that conference when they first brought this up. You know, we saw the technology from the very beginning stages.
0: Yeah, it does seem weird to us now. Like, essentially, this guy does tissue engineering, right? Because he's, it has to be heterogeneous. Think about muscle tissue. It's marbled with fat, like, like, collagen. There's connective tissue. It's not just a red jello of quivering cells, it's not that weird. He keeps using the word delicious meats, you know, the term. So, yeah, it seems weird now, but honestly, it's just there's so much less waste. They were showing that how efficient, like, on how many calories of grain go in to each gram of, of final food product that comes out. And it's, it just makes a lot more sense. in feeding an animal where you're uh, a big part of it could end up being waste. I mean, I'm not saying all the bones of an animal or other parts are wasted, but not – I mean, this is – str- it's, it's just muscle – tissue, you know, and that heterogeneity is important because I've seen earlier examples of this from other companies, and they try to, like, extrude the Mm. cells into cords, but it just, it doesn't seem natural, and these guys are growing this on a matrix, presumably of some kind of collagen or or scaffolding scaffolding process, process, yeah, and the meat can only be, she said, um, Liz, another person that was speaking, about a centimeter or so thick, because, you you know, if you think there's not a lot of, there's not blood vessels and stuff carrying tissue, the perfusion of the nutrient Broth that they bathe the cells in can only perfuse so much, so they would have to basically grow it in in sheets and, and stuff like that.
1: And also, too, on that kind of point, he someone did ask a really good question. They asked about like a, a bone-in ribeye type steak, and they they said like, are you guys going to be doing like chicken wings or bone-in kind of options? And he said currently they haven't done that yet, but he said yes. But his, his also point was really nice, as he said that would be us growing bone tissue. Think about the implication, you know, like as medical. far as medical. With something like that, if they learn how to grow bone tissue, I mean, think of like a really bad break could be anywhere from six to eight weeks, okay? So if you could grow bone tissue, though, you potentially could limit, you know, stretch fractures, hip replacements and stuff with actual bone tissue, nothing artificial, not, you know, metal ball and socket or titanium. We're talking actual bone. I think it's an,
0: it's another example of the livestock in- industry could, you know, there's these unforeseen connections with medicine. I mean, oh, yeah. God knows bodybuilders aren't afraid of playing with livestock stuff, you know, when it comes down to it. So, but you're right. I mean, cuz he's like, well, if I could, if we can grow a whole thigh, why wouldn't we try other reasons to do that? Like other uses for that. Exactly. So
1: Exactly. Completely and he was completely open to it. You know, he was like absolutely like we were open to that where like you're saying it's it's cross you know, it's, it's crossing different bridges and stuff. So it's like if they can grow bone and that could be used to help save somebody's life or, you know, amputees and stuff, could you imagine growing the bone back, having your own tissue? I mean, that's just, and it's coming from somebody who just wants to grow meat, you know what I mean, to feed people. And then it could turn into, like I said, like a lot of people who lose limbs, you could potentially have your own tissue back.
0: Yeah, I think the cost-benefit, it's just something that's going to happen. I mean, people can think it's gross or not, but I like what you said about, you know, this is just, that's why you go to these conferences, right? This is a sneak peek into the next five-plus years. This stuff's going to hit the market, and, yeah, it'll be curious to see. And, again, because, I'm like, I'm interested right now, and I don't want to belabor this one talk too much, but... As far as nutritional equivalence and pleasing the FDA, you know, and that sort of thing, I would love to do a training study where one group gets just traditional beef products or chicken, another one gets this stuff, and, you know, 12 weeks later, just put them in a bod pod, look at their body comp, and who's got more muscle mass? Is there no difference? And essentially, the null hypothesis would be your guess, right? There is no difference. And, and but then eventually, I'd love to see stuff like when he talks about custom making with more omega 3s or more leucine content. Now, I mean, if the leucine content of a meal is a driver of protein synthesis, now you might see beef not being considered slightly lower quality from a protein synthetic viewpoint to whey
3: and stuff like that, give people more options. So we'll yeah. see where this pans out. I just have one comment on the study. We talked about this this morning too. Is that I agree with you from a performance standpoint. I'd love to see that study, I think it'd be like really fascinating. My guess, though, which is a guess, is that right now the FDA, from they had a regulator there too, was talking about it, stated that most likely, since they'll show that it's an equivalent product to what's currently on the market, the FDA regulation would actually be post, meaning they would, as it stands now, most likely not need FDA approval to sell it. The FDA's jurisdiction would be after the fact if they found something odd. So the downside about this study you mentioned from a regulatory standpoint may be that, well, if they show that it's equivalent, okay, well, that's nothing new. We already knew that because that was our whole argument for allowing it to be on the shelf. If we find that there's something different, oh, wait, now it looks different. That kind of may invalidate our previous argument that we had. Right, no longer equivalent. Right. The truth is,
0: any kind of study, like if we were in this within, let's say, the next two years, the cost per ounce of this so
3: meat is redonkulous right now. $3, so, $3,800 a pound right now. 3800 a pound. But it was $50,000 a pound a few years ago. So if you look at the math of the rate of how it's gotten cheaper, it's moving really fast.
0: All right. We'll let everybody know. We'll, we'll check out the, the expo is enormous. There's a lot of ingredients, but we're going to have to dig specifically for stuff that uh, people might be interested in because so much of it is basically uh, food chemistry and food engineering and that sort of stuff. Uh, a lot of spices and weird stuff, and we'll, we'll come back at you and we'll share some more.